Welcome to this week's message from Bio George Christian Church, where we seek to love God and love people. For more information, please contact us on social media at MyBGCC. Good morning. I'm sorry I had to take a minute there. I was trying to select something to record, and I guess it's just my natural muscle memory. I was punching a food restaurant. <laughs> I figured that wasn't going to work. <laughs> oh, well, what a joy it is to be with you today. I want you to be happy. I want you to smile. I want you to think good thoughts. Maybe even laugh out loud. <laughs> because Peter gives us a message today that most of us don't want to hear. Yeah. It's really a struggle. Self-denial doesn't come easy, does it? You know what self-denial is? Denying myself for the blessing of someone else. We just generally don't deny ourselves anything, do we? Go ahead. Shake your head. You know we don't. We like to be the one on the receiving end. We don't really want to be the one that's denying ourselves so that we can bless someone else. It's God's blessing in our lives if we could just realize it. If you've been, not been with us every Sunday for the last six weeks or so, we've been in the book of 1 Peter and we're going verse by verse. And... Peter started off by telling us we have a reason to hope, and that is because when we die, we're going to heaven. And we've got a reason to go deeper in the Word of God, and we've got a reason for all the good things that God is doing and the things He wants us to do. We've got a reason to submit in the church, at home, at work. We've got a reason to be submissive to one another. We've got a reason to live. And we've got a reason to love. And he said last week we were talking about he's got, we've got a reason to witness. We've got a reason to tell people who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. But today, in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Peter tells us that we have a reason for self-denial. I hope we can learn something from Peter today because the key to a fulfilled life for us is self-denial. Self-denial actually could be desire denial. I don't get everything that I want. We refuse to allow that little internal screamer that's in us, the emotional child that's inside of us, that yells and kicks and demands and wants its own way, we don't need to let it have its way. If this inner infant is made the commander-in-chief of our lives, he will soon become a tyrant. Only, listen, only a Christ-seeking, sin, sin-avoiding life can lead to an abundant, fulfilling life in the future. 
We have to be able to sacrifice ourselves. I want to read a passage of scripture that's not on the screen today, but God just laid it on my heart yesterday, and I want to give it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to begin at verse 19, and listen to how the Apostle Paul talked about his life. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Wow, doesn't that just sound like the epitome of self-denial? Paul says, I make my slave to everybody so that some will become Christians. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having law, that's Jews and Gentiles. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. That just sounds like the epitome of self-denial. I've become all things to all men, so that I can win them to Jesus Christ with his word. Now, when said like that, it's easy to see why so many people want to shy away from self-denial. You mean I've got to be Christ-seeking in everything, and I've got to be avoiding sin in every way? Yep, that's self-denial. It's desire denial in us. No fulfillment will be found in the lifestyle of self-indulgence. You know, we're hearing on the news about people in Washington cheating, getting advance notice about stocks and planning and buying and getting under the table before they're actually made public and, and they're making millions and millions of dollars. That's not self-denial, that's indulgence but it'll never be a fulfilling lifestyle. Oh, they may, have, they may have wonderful things now. They may have stacks and sacks of money, but that's not going to bring them joy. And eventually, you know what's coming, the judgment of God, and God's going to say, give an account of everything that you've done, good and bad, every word, every deed, and then it all comes out. Now, with that truth in mind, Simon Peter has his hand, pen in his hand, and he writes us a letter. He gives us, in chapter 4, three reasons that we ought to have self-denial. The first one is that we ought to have self-denial in our lives to experience life the way God intends it. You know, God's got a plan for us. God wants us. To enjoy life. God's not a tyrant, not an ogre somewhere up in the skies. 
that's saying, oh, I hope you're miserable down there. I don't want you to have any fun. Oh, God loves us. God wants us to have joy in this life. The best way to experience life the way God intends is to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ. His attitude is so worthy of imitating in every situation. And Peter begins with this section in mind. Look at verse 1. 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. The key verb here is arm yourselves. It's really a picture of a preparation before going into war. It's a military term. And Peter's letting us know Christians cannot be casual about sin. It takes preparation to face temptation. It takes preparation when sin comes your way because you know it sneaks up on you and slaps you in the back of the head before you know it. There must be a militant attitude toward sin. We must seek it as a mortal enemy that is out to destroy us. We tend to think light, lightly of sin. You know, it's really got to be bad. We, we talk about the big sins. We've got we to gotta watch out because the little things don't really matter. But that big sin. Well, which is the big sin? And who determines that it's big? Well, you know, all sin is falling short of God's glory. Anytime we sin against God, that's sin. You can't multiply it. You can't subtract it. It's all sin. Sin in moderation, things will be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, God's big. God will forgive you. So we spend our time comparing ourselves to people that we think are not as spiritual as we are. And they sin in more flamboyant ways than we do. So we can talk about them and compare ourselves to them, and that makes us look good. Now, nah, doesn't work. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22, Paul said, avoid every kind of evil. Avoid every kind of evil. And you read something like that constantly through the scriptures. What a contrast to the way that we approach sin sometimes. The old country preacher used to say, if you don't intend on going into the house, don't come up on the porch. And that's the way we have to face temptation. Sin always starts out being fun. But it becomes our slave master. The way to experience life to the fullest is to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ. Remember Paul wrote to the Philippians, in the second chapter, have this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. He sacrificed everything for us. And that's the attitude we're called to have. And also he said to avoid sin rather than approaching it. Remember how Jesus faced temptation? When Jesus was tempted, at least the ones that we have recorded in the scriptures, when Jesus a face temptation. He relied on prayer and God's word. 
He quoted God's word back to Satan. Look at verse 2. Peter said, as a result, he does not live the rest of his life. Now, this is speaking of Jesus. He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God because he had the attitude of suffering for the people who needed him. So we need to avoid sin rather than approaching it. And then we need to pursue obedience regardless of the consequences. What does God want us to do? Obey. Do what I've asked you to do. Self-denial is best illustrated to me when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, your will be done. The epitome of self-denial. A real definition for us there. To every day, in every situation, every time we pray, say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus taught us that in the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you pray like this, your will be done. Your will be done. And we need to pray that in all situations. People say, oh, if I deny myself, then I'm not going to be very happy. I'm going to be miserable if I deny myself. Because I want things. I want to do stuff. But that doesn't have to happen. It will not happen if we have the attitude of Christ. After all, happiness is not our goal. Obedience is our goal. We're here to obey Jesus Christ. We will respect ourselves if we're obedient to God. And other people are going to see that and they will respect us as well. No wonder Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Evidently, it's possible to deny yourself and still have an abundant life. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any man would be my disciple, if he's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We deny ourselves in order to experience the life that God wants us to have, but we also deny ourselves to face eternity the way God wants us to. Look at verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Self-denial has far better consequences than self-indulgence. Consequences may happen when we indulge ourselves. We get into our habits. Liver failure from years of drinking hard alcohol. Emphysema from years of smoking. Sexually transmitted diseases from a carefree life. Ulcers due to ambition out of control, and it just eats us up. The irony is that the world thinks we are the ones who are missing out, 
They think passing out after throwing up all over yourselves in your mother's house and the carpet and the car. I missed it. <laughs> Sounds like a great time to me. The world thinks that's normal behavior. That's not God's normal behavior. They think we're the odd ducks. I don't brag about my life. I'm thankful that I grew up in a family. I never had a I've never had a beer in my life. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I'm glad I grew up in a home where I didn't have to face it because I, I never struggled with it. And consequently, all of my friends were kind of in the same boat. None of us did those things. And that helped us begin to experience a better life than we would have known if we had gotten caught up in the things that teenagers get caught up in. But the thing is, people thought about, thought that about Christians in the first century. They thought they're crazy. They're crazy. They're not having any fun. They're not enjoying this. They'd say, you're, you're missing out on everything. In fact, some ancient sources tell us both Christian and non-Christian point out that it was Christians' reluctance to participate in as many of these conventionally accepted amusements and the ungodly orgies and civic ceremonies that caused people to look at them strange and say, why don't you get in here? Jump in! Come on! Have some fun! Christians no longer paid the temple prostitutes. Oh my, you're losing out! Unbelievers hated them. They reviled them. They were losing business. That led to unjust persecution. Suffering for the righteousness caused them struggle. And they, Peter said, they heap abuse on you. Why do they do that? Because they want us to join them. They heap abuse on us. They want to make fun of us, ridicule us, because that way maybe we'll say, oh, maybe you're right. I'll, I'll join in. In a life of self-denial, there are no regrets. Look at verse 5. But they will have to give account who, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Those who have abused themselves and others with their lack of self-denial are going to be judged by Christ who was willing to deny himself that we might have better life. Who can forget Solomon? You can't forget Solomon. Richest man that ever was, had everything, literally. But he was a wise man, too. He had hundreds of women to choose from in his harem. He had the best food. He had more property than anybody else, built huge castles, he was the most powerful man on the earth at that time. Yet Solomon concluded, it's meaningless 
It's all meaningless. It means nothing. It's all in vain compared to knowing God. He said it was just like chasing after the wind. Some of you maybe can relate to that. Maybe you've plenty to live on, but maybe not much to live for. But Jesus showed us how. We need to remember we're going to reap what we sow. God wants us to deny ourselves so that when it comes time for judgment, we reap good, not evil. In verse 7, he said, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Remember the writer to the Hebrews said, It's pointed unto man once to die, and after this to face judgment. And Peter says, The end of all things is near. Be clear-minded. Be self-controlled so that you can pray. The writer uses a, a business term here, but he conveys the message that the judgment before God will be more than just like a year-end audit. It's not just a checklist, you know, da 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 da, da. It's going to be a life-end personal activity audit. Is there any activity, is there any, absolutely any part of your life that you would be embarrassed to stand before God and him question you about it. Well, if you're like me, you say, of course, there is. The world is coming to a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our name's going to appear in the Lamb's Book of Life, or it's not. That's the only decision. There is no in-between. No more chances, no second chance, no third chance, no more chances. There is more to life than being squeezed between two dates on a tombstone. There is eternity. Eternity with God, hopefully. On a daily basis, we have the opportunity to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. To let the world know of our loyalty to Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about Peter said we've got a reason to witness. The reason is people need to be saved from their sin. They need to be forgiven. They need to have the opportunity to be a part of God's heaven. We know that. We've got a reason to tell people about Jesus. And that reason is the opposite. The alternative is an eternal hell. We, have, we face this self-denial in order that we can live life the way God wanted us to live and also, <clears throat> also so we can face eternity the way God wants us to. But the third reason that Peter gives us in this passage is we have a reason for self-denial to experience community the way God wants us to church. This is it. This section is earmarked for Christians. 
and it tells these early believers in Jesus Christ what should be taking place in the life of the church. Now, the church is only 18, 20 years old at this time. It's not been there very long. But he talks about the church and community and how our self-denial will help build the kingdom of God. There are four different types of community seen here. Peter says there's a loving community. Look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply. We're a loving community, and if we don't love one another, who in the world will? The church should be that positive exception to every other organization. Love should be that distinctive that makes us stand out. Jesus said, this is how the world are going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. People caring about people. That's an action that we need to be carrying out. And then the church is a forgiving community. Verse 8 again, because love covers a multitude of sins. Forgiveness should be a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, if you don't forgive other people, if they hurt you, I can't forgive you. When he told us to forgive, when he told us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those we sin against. What it really says is, Father, forgive me in the same way that I forgive other people when they That's a different twist, isn't it? But that's the way it should be written. Father, forgive me in the same manner I forgive others. The measure of mercy that we show to other people will be the same measure that God gives to us. Now that's a motivator, isn't it? That's a motivator for us to be more forgiving in our lives. An insightful person once said, we are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. But we are most like God when we forgive. An action. We take action as Christians. All right, a loving community, a forgiving community. It's also a welcoming community, welcoming each other. For some, this comes quite naturally. You know, you got the gift of hospitality. You may walk around the room before everybody gets here and you're greeting everybody and shaking their hands and loving on them, hugging necks. Others don't have that same gift. But when we greet each other, you're the one there. You're the one maybe that's out with just a couple of, maybe you're doing all this greeting, giving everybody a handshake and a hug. And Peter says in verse 9, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Mm. When it comes time to be a friend, when it comes time to be a welcoming community, shouldn't be a grumble about it at all. It should all be a release of love and joy and peace. Look out for the needs of others. Not just a handshake. Not just a hug, but genuinely 
Look for opportunities to express hospitality. There's so much we could do to show hospitality. And we would do it without complaining, Peter says. Hospitality. In the Greek, two words, love and strangers. Love strangers. That's what we're called to do in the church. From the outside, this building isn't super intimidating. It's not super large. I've just came from a building that was about 10 times this size. And, and so it's, it was really, really intimidating. I mean, you came in great big front steps. It was 100 feet from where I stood to the back of the building and, and up on a three times this high stage. And so people, if they were new, they were kind of intimidated and they thought, wow. Look at these great big columns, this big around, it's sitting up, you know, six of them down each side of inside the sanctuary, and big ones out on the porch. But you know, loving people made that building feel so small. People think, whoa, it's so big, I can't go in there. I wonder what it's like to be on the inside. For us to reach out to a person, though, a member of the church or not, first time or a hundredth time, for us to convey genuine love and concern to them will help this church be much closer. Find out who they are. Know their name. I had a lady telling me one time, over a thousand people in church, and she sat close, she sat and saw the same lady for years, several years. And one day, encouraging them to shake hands and greet each other and find out somebody's name if you don't know it. She finally edged over and said, I'm so glad to see you here. And she shook her hand and said, what's your name? And they found out each other's name. And she said, are you new here? And the lady said, oh, no, I've been a member here for 27 years. <laughs> you don't know until you ask. Listen, conveying genuine love and concern and being compassionate helps the church feel more like family. That's what it is. Sometimes I may say something that you don't like. That's preaching. Preaching is a lot like hitting a baseball. Sometimes, you know, you get a ball. Sometimes you get a strike. Sometimes you get a home run, a single. <laughs> but you strike out, too. Sometimes you, you don't pull the right punch. Boom. <laughs> when Peter wrote this, he wasn't simply saying, invite your neighbors over for lasagna and play some Monopoly and talk about Jesus. It goes deeper than that. It's more important to be hospitable to your neighbor, to genuinely care about your neighbor. But in this day, people were being persecuted for their faith. Their homes were being taken. They were being put out on the street. 
If you were a Christian and you still had your home, you might need to invite a family of five to come live in your two-room house that already had five living in it. In order for Christian brothers and sisters to have a roof over their head, they had to share their homes. They were all Christian. And Peter said, do it, listen, without grumbling. Ooh. Don't complain. That's hard, isn't it? That would be hard. Sometimes we get disturbed when one person comes and stays. You know what they say about fish and friends? After about three days, they all start stinking. <laughs> it's tough at times to be welcoming especially if it's long-term. But Peter says, do it without grumbling. That takes self-denial. Okay, the church is loving and forgiving and welcoming. The church is also a serving community. Peter says, verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. This is beginning to look more like a multicolored mosaic picture, isn't it? But it is the church. All of us doing our part and blending in our service to others. Don't ever think your contribution or your service is small or unnecessary. I talk a lot about service and, and I bring that up all the time because I don't want anybody to miss out on God's blessing. And we need you. We really need each other. That's what God's called us to do. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. True community takes place when God's people come together and use their giftedness. The focus is on the Lord rather than on themselves. Each has a gift or gifts and has a responsibility to use them. Peter says use it. Do it. Let me tell you, God has gifted everybody in here to serve in his church. God gave you a gift, but not for you, for me. God gave you a gift for me, and I'm given a gift for you. If you don't use your gifts, you are robbing me. And if I don't use my gifts, I am robbing you. You see, we rob each other if we don't use what God has given us for his glory. Only when we deny ourselves can others enter into a complete relationship with one another. It's tough. It's really tough to deny self but it's a distinctive mark of the Christian life. 
Jesus said it plainly. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Simply put, self-denial is a choice that we make when we decide to follow Jesus. We decide we're going to deny ourselves. So the question has to be asked, does the life you live match the decision that you made? When it does, then you'll experience life and eternity and community the way God intends for it to be. That's what Peter said. It's tough to really live if you're not prepared to die. It's a decision time. This is what we've come to now, to decide what we're we going to do if it's Jesus in our lives. You can make a decision now as to how your life's going to play out for all eternity. When the Bible is closed, when the people are gone, when the lights are out, when time has ended, when we finally stand before God and the Lamb's book of life is opened, what then? Jesus invites us to deny ourselves, take up whatever cross he gives us to serve him, and follow him. If you haven't done that, I'm asking you to do it, to make that decision, to say, Lord, I'm ready to take that stand for you. And I challenge you to do that right now. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing. And it's a chance every one of us can make a change with our lives in our relationship to God. We can say, Lord, I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to follow you. Let's stand up. As you stand, I want to pray. And as we sing, you'll meet me down front. Let's talk about your decision. Whatever you want to talk about, okay? Lord God, I thank you again for this day. I thank you for your love and mercy. I thank you for all the good things you do for us. And I thank you, Father, that we're able to come to this place and worship you. But now we can also make a decision. We can decide to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you wherever you lead us. Help us, O oh God, to be what you want us to be. And we'll give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and will be with us again. As always, you can check with us online at our website and social media at MyBGCC to learn about events and let us connect with you.